So we begin this morning in Proverbs chapter number 20 and verse number 7. The Bible says, The just man walketh in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Uh, and so, you know, the converse is also true. If I'm not a man who walks in integrity, then my children are cursed, not blessed. And so, uh, I, I, what kind of a father do they have this morning is the question. And so, as we look here and we experience this fatherhood, and, and that question is a question that I ask myself. I ask my, my children, what kind, of, what kind of dad do they have? Uh, I wonder and look at my own heart and I evaluate myself constantly in many aspects of life. And that question is, what kind of a dad was I? I'm in a stage of life now where uh, my children don't live at home anymore. And so three of the four are married and uh, probably by this time next year, all four of them will be married and, <clears throat> and we'll, uh, we have grandchildren. And, and so the role of a, as a father in my life has changed from what it's been uh, all these years, but it's still uh, a role in my life. I'm still a father. I'm still a grandfather. So what kind of dad did they have? Uh, then the question is, what kind of dad do they have now? Uh, and so because certainly I want to look back at my relationship with my children as a father and I, I want to uh, pick apart the areas that weren't good and to fix them so that moving forward and so that now I'm not repeating the same mistakes of uh, years gone by and then what kind of father will they have? Uh, and so, you know, the, the wonderful thing about this and God's grace is that if I if I failed in my early years of fatherhood, I don't have to continue to fail through a lifetime. I can learn, I can grow, I can develop, and I can continue to be uh, becoming what they all need for us to be. In Malachi chapter number 4 and verses 5 and 6, in Malachi he's telling about coming judgment, the day of the Lord. And then he says, Behold, in verse 5, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and this great day of judgment. But notice what he's going to do. He, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so it is God's plan and God's will for our fathers and their children to be turned toward one another. In other words, I shouldn't be the type of a father that repels my children. My attitude, my interaction with them, and I'm the type that, you know, believe in discipline. I believe in, uh, in strong leadership. I believe in, uh, especially the younger that our children were, the uh, stricter we were. Uh, and, and we praise the Lord that, you know, in their, in their latter years of their childhood and into their teen years, uh, you know, there was not that much discipline. We were strict early so that a lot of our discipline as they grew older was just a look or a word. It didn't have to be stronger because we established that so strongly whenever they were very small. Um, and so when we look here, what I'm saying is, is that you don't have to be the kind of a father that just lets your kids do whatever. That's not meeting our responsibility so that they'll like me. My goal as a father is not to be their friend. My goal is to be their father. Now I'm glad as they're now adults that we can be friends but I'm still dad, and so that doesn't change. And so, uh, you know, when we look at fatherhood and look at what God's intention is for us and what our roles are this morning, uh, all of it is in the context of how I lead and how I live and how I interact should cause my children's hearts to be turned toward me. 
Now, Ephesians gives, Ephesians gives us a lot of insight here. As we, and we're going to look here, uh, obviously here at chapter 5. We're going to look back at chapter 4 a little bit too. Uh, but, you know, the scripture says a lot about men. It says a lot about what should define me as a man. It, says, it tells me uh, why I'm here. And so if you wonder, uh, a lot of times we'll get to a certain age in life and young people, especially those that don't know the Lord and that are out there, and the question is, why am I here? What, what is, why was I created? Or how did I get here? Or what's the purpose of life? And the answer to that is that we are here to glorify God. Uh, God created us for himself to love us, for us to love him in return, for us to bring him honor and glory, uh, and for us to, uh, to be fellowshipping with him and to have a solid and close personal relationship with him. So that's why we're here. And so, but also it tells me what, what my shortcomings are. Now that's not a comfortable thing to go through. It's not comfortable for me to sit down with my Bible and with the Holy Spirit and say, Show me all the areas in my life that are broken and need to be fixed. That's a longer list than I care to admit. And the reality is, is that all of us have things in our life that we need to grow in, that we need to be learning about, that we need to be developing. And so when we talk about what our shortcomings are, um, it, it, is, it is foolish to say I have none. It is arrogant and prideful to say that I have none. To feel that we've reached a point in our lives, in our parenting, and our being a husband and being a father, uh, to where we've maxed out our growth potential uh, is, is a, a, a very arrogant position. All of us should be humble enough to say, God, I've got errors, I have flaws, I have areas in my life where maybe even at one point it was strong and now it's weakened and broken down. Show me that so that I can learn, so that I can grow, so that that can be developing. But the Bible tells me what my shortcomings are. I don't, have to, I don't have to wonder for long if I'm willing to look. If I'm willing to allow God to look into my heart and into my life, there's plenty of things that need to be corrected in areas in which I need to grow for him to point out to me. It also tells me what my responsibilities are. There's no doubt to anyone who's serious about loving God, serving God, learning the word of God, that we understand quickly that God has giving, uh, given us some responsibilities in life. Uh, and so if I want to know what my responsibilities are as a husband and a father, I need look no further than the Word of God. Uh, I, I don't think any reasonable person, even a person that doesn't know anything about the Word of God or Jesus and, and, what God's, and God's plan of salvation, would say that as an adult and as a man and as a father, I have some responsibilities to my family. Uh, that's pretty widely accepted and rightfully so. But the Bible tells me what those responsibilities are. The Bible also tells us what our future will be. It tells me what my future will be based upon whether or not I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior in light of eternity. And we understand that. But it also tells me what my future will be based upon how I live and how I act now. Uh, for example, if I, if I am a person who... Uh, you know, abuses certain aspects of my physical health uh, for a lifetime, then when I get to a point uh, where my health begins to fail, uh, I, it's not, oh God, how could you let this happen to me? An honest person would have to look and say, well, I, I'm, I've arrived here because I've done this for this long. No person that has, you know, smoked three or four packs of cigarettes a day for 30 years should be surprised to learn that they've got lung cancer. 
Uh, it's not God's fault. It's choices that we made and the impact of those choices on our life. And so uh, I'm, I'm just making the point with that, that the Bible tells us that when we do certain things, we should expect a certain result. If I live foolishly and arrogantly, then I should expect a negative response to that. Uh, where we started this morning in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 20 uh, is an example of that. The just man walketh in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. But an unjust man that, is, that has no integrity, his children are cursed after him. And so it just should be an expectation that we have because the Bible tells us many times what we should expect based upon how we live and the choices that we make. Now, it tells us, uh, the Bible that is, tells us how to be a good neighbor. It tells us how to be a good husband. It tells us how to be uh, a good lady, a good wife, a good mother. Uh, and so it stresses the importance of fatherhood. And on this Father's Day, as we look at our responsibility here, I would say this, that one cannot be a good father without being a godly man. I, I cannot be a good father. Now, a good father, not defined as to the world's definition of someone who's just present and active and a part of the life. There are a lot of men that meet the definition of a good father in that regard. But if I'm not giving my children the most important aspect of life and relationship and, and knowing that Christ is their Savior and that they're on their way eternally to heaven uh, and that they can have victory over sin in their life if they'll walk with God, then I have, I have failed to meet God's criteria of being a good father. And so I want to be the father and wanted and desired to be the father that led my children to choose to lead a life as adults in which they're following and serving God. And to this point, praise the Lord, they are. And so our oldest will be 29 in a couple of weeks and uh, our youngest just turned 21 a few weeks ago or about a, a couple of months ago. Uh, and so we praise the Lord for their life choices up to this point. Uh, and so, but what I'm saying is, is that, that that's a stated goal. That, that, that is a mark of what we're trying to achieve uh, as parents is to train and to put in our children a desire to do what's right and to serve the Lord. So in stressing the importance of fatherhood, um, you know, I would say this as well, that you can be a good businessman and be a bad father, but you can't be a bad father and be a good businessman. And so there are a lot of people that are really successful at business, but they're horrible fathers. But a genuinely good father uh, will also be good at whatever their profession is. Why? Because it's, it's, a, it's a, an honor and an integrity within oneself that causes us to desire to excel. I would say that you could be a good husband and a bad father, but you can't be a, uh, a bad husband uh, and, uh, or you can't be a good father and a bad husband. Uh, if I'm a good father, then I am by nature a good husband. I say, Pastor, how do you come to that? And we're going to look at Ephesians here in just a moment and kind of draw some of these conclusions. But being a father is about being an example. Being a father is about inspiring my children to have a desire to become the men and the women that God would have them to be. Being a father and being the right example means that I have to have character. That I have to be a man of integrity. That I have to be a man of fidelity. In other words, I, I, I have to be faithful. I have to be uh, committed and honorable. 
and so I think the marks of a father who is a godly example is a man who has character, a man of integrity, a man of fidelity, a man of honor. And so we want to strive to be that kind of a man. Our children are commanded to honor and to obey. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. That's not a suggestion. That's not a request. It's a command. We are commanded, or our children, whenever they're under our authority, are commanded to obey us. And we were whenever we were under the authority of our parents. Now, I would say, and this really isn't part of the message, the Bible's command to honor our mother and father never expires. To, to live a life that honors my mother and my father, that doesn't expire. But honoring them doesn't mean doing what they think is honorable. It means doing, living my life and pleasing and serving God. That truly honors them, whether they recognize that as honor or not. Now, I cannot be belligerent and defiant. I cannot be difficult to get along with uh, by nature and always stir in a pot and bring honor to them. And so, uh, but, but the point here is children obey your parents. They're commanded. Our wives are commanded to submit to the authority of their husband. In chapter uh, 5, in verse, in verse uh, 22, wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now we're going to back up a little bit more in that in just a moment because there's a lead in verse to that that never gets talked about or rarely does. It's important. Uh, it sets the framework and for the atmosphere of the home and the way that the home should be led. Uh, and so, but my point right now is that our children are commanded to honor and obey and our wives are commanded to submit. But I'm telling you men this morning that we are commanded to be worthy. Worthy of their obedience, worthy of their submission. To inspire them to do what God has instilled in them to naturally do. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That verse has broad application, but it's, you can't exclude fatherhood from that. You can't exclude being a husband in that. I am to be worthy of that vocation to which I have been called. And so uh, when we look here, the essence of that is this. We are commanded to be worthy you could say it this way. We are commanded to keep their hearts. We are commanded to live and to love and to lead in such a way that our children and our wives are inspired to fulfill their roles biblically within the home. And so what type of a father would your children this morning describe you as if they were to honestly answer Several years ago, I think it was about nine years ago, actually, because it was the summer right before we moved, or the summer that we moved here. And so uh, we, uh, my boys had been working with the ministry in Boston for the summer, and they came home and were getting ready to uh, help us move. And I don't remember if it was early in the summer when they were going out, or if it was after they came back on the week that we moved here. But I was sitting in the living room. And they were, all four of my children were sitting around the table in a little dinette area of their house that we lived in at the time. And, and I'm just listening to the conversation. And it's uh, one of the first times that they've kind of all been together where half of them have been gone away from each other for an extended period or, or, or are getting ready to, to be. And I'm listening to the conversation and I felt like for a moment I was sitting in the funeral parlor of my own funeral listening to my children reminisce about their childhood and me as their father and Sonia as their mother. 
and so you know I was kind of struck by that uh, it wasn't all flattering uh, some of it was uh, uh, was a little bit tough to listen to and some of it was funny and we laughed and uh, but it was just that you know if, if we were in an environment this morning where we sat down my children your children interviewed them and said speaking honestly what type of a father do you have what would their answer be and what would my response to that be I think that that's a wide-ranging question. I think that there are things in every one of our lives that we would be brokenhearted about, that we, uh, that we were that type of a father, and then there are other things that we'd look at and say, hey, we did that pretty well. But what have we learned from that, and can we be growing? I want to just this morning kind of look at this and point out basically what I think three primary types of fathers are. Um, and, and to just give some insight into that as we evaluate ourselves, I'm not trying to evaluate you this morning. I'm trying to lay out some things here to help you self-evaluate so that we recognize that there's potential for improvement and growth in our relationship with the Lord and our families as we try to lead them forward. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to back up here just a minute. Uh, and, and he tells us in chapter 5, that we are to be followers of God as dear children in verse 1. And to do that, we have to walk in love. We can't walk in foolishness. Um, he says, be partakers with them. Uh, you know, he goes through a, a thing of, uh, you know, neither be, neither, uh, things we don't let in our life. Uh, fools make a mock at sin, Proverbs 14, 9 said. And so in verse 4, He's telling us neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Be a thankful person. He's not saying it's never appropriate to joke around, but it can go to an extreme and don't make a mock at sin. And so he goes here and he says, be partakers with it. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So I'm, I'm commanded to walk as a child of light, as a child of God. And then he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and so, or, or, or tells us a little bit about it, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what's acceptable unto the Lord. And then he says, don't have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, in verse 11. And then in verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly or carefully, be cautious about where you walk and how it impacts and where it's going to lead. Uh, and then he says, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is and redeem the time because the days are evil. Understand the will of God. Uh, and then he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Don't let some outside agent control you. Let the spirit of God control you. And then he comes to the home. And this is uh, really coming to the married life of a spirit filled believer, illustrating Christ's relationship with the church. And so when he does that, in verse 21, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So before he ever says in the next verse to the wives, submit yourselves unto your husband, he says to both husband and wife, submit yourselves one to another. In other words, I have to understand my role. And every aspect of the organization, in this case the home, has to understand its role. And the picture that that is of the church. We have to understand the role that we play and we have to submit ourselves one to another within those roles. And so I believe what he's trying to communicate here is don't lord over them. This is really a rebuke in my mind about someone that would stand up and say, 
Uh, you know, the Bible says, woman, you're supposed to submit. The Bible says, kid, you're supposed to obey. Well, yes, they are, but you're supposed to be submitted also. In other words, are you leading in a way that inspires their, are you making it easy for them? A good husband and father will make it easy for their wife and their children to fall into their roles that are God-given. They're inspired to do so. Why? Because they feel loved. He says to the wives, submit yourselves to your husband. And he tells us why. Because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be unto their own husbands in everything. But then in verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with washing of water of the word. And so uh, the responsibility of the husband to lead, not to dictate, but to lead. Not to, not to come in with an iron fist because that's the only way that anybody will respond, but to lovingly lead in such a way that it causes them to naturally respond correctly to that leadership. And so that's the way that the Lord works in our heart. Jesus isn't beating you over the head this morning trying to get you to serve him. He wants you to serve him because you love him. And he wants you to feel and understand that you're loved by him. And when I understand his love for me, then my natural response is to return and reciprocate that love. If he's antagonistic toward me, I reciprocate with antagonism. Whenever we are provoking our wives or provoking our children, which Ephesians 6.4 tells us not to do, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We're not to be provocative. We're to be lovingly leading. But if I lovingly lead without setting an example, there's nothing to follow. If I pastor the church but don't live what I preach, and if, if our Sunday school teachers don't live what they teach, if, our, uh, if the staff doesn't live what's preached, then it really kind of renders everything taught null and void. Why would I follow what you say whenever you don't do it yourself? And it's not that people have a re an expectation of perfection. Some do, but most reasonable people don't. But there should be an honest effort. To take what's taught, what's preached, and to live. And so, when you come down to this and understanding these are what God has given us to do. We are to, uh, we are to love like Christ. We are to lead in a godly manner. Then there are three responses to that, if you will. Number one, we see that there is the foolish father. The word foolish, by definition, means one who is destitute of reason. One who has no capacity to take in the facts, to assess the situation, and to reasonably and honestly evaluate it, not based upon their own criteria, but based upon uh, that which is the absolute norms and rights of God's Word. For example, uh, if I was someone, you know, you, you take people out in the world that they just want to justify their sin, they are not going to listen to reason. They're only going to twist and pervert the truth to justify in their own mind what they want to do. And so a foolish father does the same thing. It is one who is destitute of reason. A fool is also one who acts contrary to sound wisdom. When something is set and it's established and it is, it is seen as this is, this is sound wisdom, 
This is, this is just the best or the right or the most efficient or most effective way to do. I'm not saying that there's not a little bit of room for good people to disagree about extended things, but in the grand scheme of things, when you look at something and, uh, and you can see that, hey, this is, this is sound wisdom, this is, this is godly wisdom, this is the right choice or decision, one who acts contrary to that, the Bible describes as foolish. And so it also is one who follows his own inclinations or one who prefers trifling and temporary pleasure to the service of God. One who would trade what I want right now for what God wants for eternity. One that wants to just satisfy their own flesh. And listen, God is very wonderful and gracious about giving us the desires of our heart when we serve him. Uh, I, I, it's not wrong to enjoy life and to enjoy God's creation and all of those things. We should be doing that. What I'm saying here is, what's my priority? A fool makes the foolish things, the, the shallow things, the, uh, the, the, the things that have no real value to them. They may be fun in the moment, but they're not going to make much impact in the years to come. Those things should never be the priority. Our service to God should be the priority. It's not really about the act or the deed that we're doing. It is the reason behind why we're doing what we do. Am I doing it to honor, to please God? Am I doing it as an investment in my children? Uh, for example, when my boys were, were coming up and, I, and they were playing ball in school, we were, we were always there. I don't know that I missed more than two or three ball games in their entire, uh, in their entire childhood. Uh, and if I did, it was because I had to go and preach somewhere else and be somewhere for some type of a meeting. Uh, but, but we were there. Uh, we were there for our girls. We were there for major events. The, the question is not whether or not we're there. The question is why are we there? Are, we're there because we're trying to be a part to instill, to, to invest in their character and their training. Uh, and so that is, is a wise investment of time. But a foolish father is just about satisfying self. And there's two observations about about. Uh, the, the way that a foolish father behaves. And that's the first one, that a foolish father lives for self. They're not living for their wife. They're not living for their children. They're not living for, uh, they're, they're living for themselves. They see their wife as their servant and their children uh, as, as uh, you know, kind of a, a, a residual responsibility that they want soon to be freed from. Now, it's not wrong to want your children to grow up and to reach maturity and to go out and make their own way in the world. That's what we're supposed to do. But there are a lot of men out there that they're just, they're just you know, I can't wait until you get out of my life kind of an attitude. And so that's foolish. A foolish father lives for themselves. They don't care about their children. They may want them to be uh, a health. They, may, they want to be healthy. They want to be successful, but only because that means that they're going to be less trouble for me. A foolish husband doesn't value and appreciate his wife. A foolish husband, a selfish husband looks and sees his wife just simply as his, his servant, his handmaiden. Somebody to meet their needs, somebody to cook their meals and clean their house, but they have no real value. They have no real, uh, they have no real, nothing really of value to add to their relationship or uh, ministry or their life outside of uh, you know, hey, I, I want you to do this so that I feel fulfilled, satisfied. 
That's all that they are looking toward. That is the, the foolishness of a, of a foolish father living for self. The second thing that I would say about a foolish father is that a foolish father expects unearned reverence and honor. And that really gets back to submitting ourselves one to another, walking worthy of the vocation to which we're called. Listen, if God has given you children, you have been called to fatherhood. So I'm not called to do that. Now, if, you, if, you, if God gave you a child, you've been called. If you've chosen to marry then, and you have a wife, you've been called. And so am I going to live worthy of that expectation and what God has given me? Am I going to rise to the occasion? A foolish father expects unearned reverence and honor. You're going to honor me because of my position. Now, it's right for a subordinate position to honor a superior position. But it's foolish of the superior position to demand or expect that to be given without resentment if it's not been earned. There are re responsibilities that I have as a father and a husband that should cause me to live and to lead my home in such a way that causes my children to naturally honor and reverence me. Not because they have to, but because... The life that I have and the love that I have given them compels them to. They're not doing so because of a biblical requirement or a societal requirement. They're doing so because they simply feel loved and they want to return that love. How long, fathers, has it been since we've done things in a way that expresses that love that we've lived with such integrity, with such character, with such honor, that they are inspired to want to bestow honor and reverence to a father. The foolish father expects it to be given even when it's not earned. A wise father is seeking always to earn it. To live in such a way to where they desire to show it. The second thing that I would want to look at as far as fatherhood goes is the faint-hearted father. When I'm looking at, am I going to live up to what God's given me to do as a husband and a father? Am I going to approach this foolishly and just live for myself? Am I going to say, you know, hey, the Bible says you got to, you're supposed to do this, so do it. That's foolish. The faint-hearted father is the one who is cowardly. And the word faint-hearted means that. It means cowardly. It means to be dejected. It means to be easily depressed or to be yielding to fear. Am I the father that never does anything because I'm afraid of what the result's going to be? Am I the father? Now, we're to walk circumspectly, so it's not that we're to just, okay, I'm dad, and this is what I said, so I'm just going to charge in here, and this is the way it's going to be. That's not walking carefully. But I also, whenever it's clear what needs to be done, I need to stand up and have the courage to do what needs to be done. The courage to say what needs to be said. The, the self-control to say it in a way that it will produce the desired response, not uh, just throw it out there and, uh, and let it be something that causes more, more division in the home. The faint-hearted is easily depressed. If I'm, listen, if I'm a dad that's walking around and I can't get out of the depths of depression, I, I need to realize I'm a faint-hearted father. Be, be willing to get a hold of God, let God get a hold of you and to grow so that we come to a point where we have God's courage and God's ability to rise to the occasion. Two thoughts about faint-hearted fathers. Number one, a faint-hearted father does what's easy over what's right. 
If you're just always as a dad and a husband looking for the easiest way out, then you're faint-hearted this morning. If you're, if you're just looking for what do I have to do to appease them, I'm not really solving the problem, I'm just appeasing them so that they'll go away and leave me alone. I'm not really addressing the issue. I'm not really making the investment of my time to, listen, the reality is, is that some of the most important lessons that our children need to learn require us to be inconvenienced to teach them. Teaching is not convenient. Teaching and instructing is not easy. It requires energy. It requires preparation. It requires effort. But it's a worthwhile effort. It's a worthwhile investment. The faint-hearted father just does what's easy. It doesn't matter what's right. It matters what's easy. A godly father does what's right, regardless of how difficult it is. And so am I a father who's faint-hearted this morning? The second thing I would say about being a faint-hearted father is this. Is that a faint-hearted father does not see things through. I know a lot of men that they're, they're real fast to jump on the bandwagon and start something, but they never finish anything. I had a staff member one time and, and you know, I was at a point where we couldn't continue to work together and so I was in the process of trying to lead him to go somewhere else so that I wouldn't have to fire him. Um, and, and we got to the point where I was just like, you know, he said, well, you know, what do you want me to do? And the reality is, is that from the minute that I got there, anytime something to me done needed to be done, he was the first one to jump up and say, I'll do it. But after four or five years, I could never point to one single thing that he ever finished. He was faint-hearted. He wanted to do right. His heart was in the right place. But he lacked the character and he lacked uh, the, the discipline to see things through. Don't be, listen, if I'm the kind of a father that never finishes anything, if I'm the kind of father that never sees anything through, you know, if I'm the kind of, if it's my nature, when I change a light bulb and I get the, I have to get the ladder out, I, I had to change some light bulbs a couple weeks ago and change our air conditioning filters and they're 10 feet in the air. So I can't do it without a ladder. Even as tall as I am, I can't do it without a ladder. You get the ladder and you bring it in and you open the, uh, the, the grate to get the filter, old filter out and you put the new one in. Uh, and then you go and take the cover off of the light bulb and you take the old bulb out and put the new one on. But you leave uh, the, the cover off and you don't close the grate and you let everybody trip over the ladder for a week before your wife gets aggravated enough at you that you finally put it away. I would say that that's a pretty good indicator that by nature you're a faint-hearted father because you didn't see it through. If you didn't finish the job, you know, if, you're, if you uh, go about doing something, see it through to the end. If you start something, finish it. That, and by the way, that's something that every father should instill in their children. Finish what you start. It's just good character. And when your children have good character, dads, guess what? That brings honor. It bestows honor upon you. Why are you honored? You're honored because you taught them to finish what they start. And so when we look at someone who's faint-hearted, the faint-hearted father doesn't see things through. Do what, have, you, have you looked at your child as they are growing and they're developing and they, they've got a weakness in their life, they have a character flaw in their life, and you recognize it and you talk to them about it, did you have one conversation and let them revert back and say, oh, well, well, we talked about it, I couldn't fix it, or did you stick with it for as long as it took while they were under your authority to try to do everything possible to fix their problem, to 
to teach them to have character. See it through. The third father that we look at this morning is that faithful father. I, all of us, I think, should want to be a faithful father. We should want to be one that, that is, when I, you know, I don't, I don't want when somebody talks about me or raises my name for my children to be embarrassed because my name was mentioned. Now, in my case, it's probably too late for that. Whatever, they, if they either they are or they're not, there's not a lot that I can do about it at this point except start doing better now so that hopefully some point in the future it'll change. Now, I don't really expect that that's a problem with my children, but, but if that's your case, I'm just saying that all of us should have a desire to be a faithful father to not be an embarrassment to our children, to not be a, a point of shame to our children. Uh, we want our children to hold us in high regard. How do I do that, Pastor? Be faithful. Be a faithful father. Be a faithful husband. Faithful means to be true, to be exact. It means to be in conformity to not just the letter, but also the spirit of that which is right. There are a lot of people that are good about trying to hold and abide by the letter of the law, but they completely missed the spirit of the law. Why was it given in the first place? A faithful person carries out the letter, but they do it in adherence to what the spirit by which the law was given. It is someone that's faithful is constant in the performance of their duties. I would say two thoughts about this this morning. First, I would say this. A faithful father does not just do, he does it right. He does it right. Whatever you take on to do, men, do it right. Don't take shortcuts. Don't do it halfway. Whatever you do, give it your very best. Better for me to do fewer things and give it my all than to take on so many things that I can't do anything well. When we look and we understand that a faithful father does not just do, but he must do it right. Listen, I, I want to do the things that I do in my life correctly. I want to do them right. I, if it's, whether it's something that's complex, whether it's something simple, whether it's something that's relational, or whether it's something that uh, is just uh, you know, uh, routine, I want to do it right. I don't, I don't want to do it halfway. I don't want to do it half-heartedly. I want to give my best because my children are watching. In my case now, my grandchildren are watching. And my grandsons are not quite yet old enough at, uh, at 1 and 18, 19, 20 months to uh, catch on to a lot. But my 5 and 3-year-old granddaughters, they're watching and they're gaining understanding every day. They're beginning to put a lot more things together. And so I want to live life with a realization that I'm being watched. And that I have a responsibility to walk worthy. To live in a way that would cause them to hold me in high regard. I don't want my grandchildren to have to make excuses like, oh, that's just, that's just Pops. That's just the way that he is. I want them to look at their pops and say, I'd like to be like that someday. I would like to have that kind of character someday. I would like to have that outlook on things someday. I'm not saying that I'm successful at that. I'm saying that's a stated goal. And we look and we would say this, that a faithful father does not just do, but he does it right. Am I committed to doing things the right way? 
am I committed to teaching them the advantages and the godliness of doing things completely and correctly? And so, you know, I, I, I tend to, by nature, especially when I was a kid, to kind of early on get in a hurry. I, for a while, I got into a thing where I would build models. Model cars weren't my thing. I was more about airplanes and ships. I was more about things of that nature. And, and sometimes it would be like old sailing ships where you had to take a big spool of thread and, and all of the rigging and the mast and kind of put all, that's very detail oriented. It's very, you can't do that quickly and get a good result. My, you know, initial nature when I first would start would be to get the little bottle of paint bottle out and to just slap stuff on. And then uh, as I got a little older and grew a little bit more mature, I took a lot more time to try to do it right to make it look as good as it could, especially uh, whenever it got to be something really big that was not that was not just a cheap little three dollar uh, snap together type of a thing, but was more elaborate. And I had to go out and mow yards or work or do whatever to have the money to go and get this thing. Uh, I had a lot invested in it. So it was more important to me that it would be something that I would be happy with the end result. What did that mean? That mean that I had to slow down. That mean that I had to try to learn to do it the right way. That meant that I had to keep the end result in mind along the decision-making process. And the temptation is always to take shortcuts. The temptation is to always do things the easiest way. And listen, I'm, I'm a firm believer of working smarter, not harder. Just because you do it the hardest way doesn't mean you're doing it the smartest way. But you can do things smart without taking shortcuts. Don't be a shortcut taker. Listen, you, you might get away with taking shortcuts when it comes to some mechanical things. But you'll never get away with taking shortcut when it comes to relationship things. Not with your wife, not with your children, not with your grandchildren. Don't take shortcuts. Invest and inspire. I would say secondly about being a faithful father is that a faithful father can be counted on. Can they count on you? Not every person has a dad that they can count on. Not every person has a dad that they know that they're going to be there for them. That they can trust them to keep their word. That they can trust them to, to show up on time and to be where they're supposed to be when they are supposed to be there. Not every person has that in their life. And maybe you didn't have that in your life. But you can make sure that your children and grandchildren have that in their life. Would you be faithful this morning? I am confident of this. I'm confident... I'm not confident in what my children will say about me 20 years from now or 30 whenever they stand over my grave or however long the Lord gives me, maybe in a week or two. But in all likelihood, it'll be several years down the road. I may not be confident about what they'll say when it comes to a lot of things in my life. But there's one thing that I can have confidence that they won't be able to say that dad was not there. They may have wished he wasn't there, but he was there. They may have, it may, you know, it may be the thing where, you know, we do the best that we can and maybe we've messed it up so much at times that it's made it hard in other areas of our life. But if there's one thing that I think that when the time comes for me to go be with the Lord, my children stand around uh, the funeral home and get ready for my service. I think if there's one thing that they'll 
have to all agree on is this, is that as long as there was enough strength in the man's body, when we needed him, he was there. A faithful man is there. A faithful father is there. You may not always have all the answers. You may not always be able to solve the problem. You may not always have lived in such a way that you can provide the inspiration that they need in the moment. But you can be there. I would expect that of all of it, that on the list of importance ranks up there pretty high. I remember as a pastor, a young pastor, getting some advice from an older pastor, dealing with people that were going through very difficult things in hospitals or suicide deaths or things like that within their family. And I remember having a conversation with a particular pastor and I said, you know, I really didn't know what to say. What do you say in that situation? And, you know, he looked at me and he said, you know what, it really doesn't matter what you say. He says, they won't remember 20 years from now what you said but they'll never forget that you were there. And a faithful father will always be remembered for being there. Are we faithful? I would say this morning that if I would be a faithful father that I first must be faithful to my father in heaven. A faithful father must be a faithful Christian. Other than, otherwise, my faithfulness is incomplete. A faithful father must be a faithful husband. I cannot dishonor and betray my wife and be a faithful father. I want to be the kind of an example that brings honor and glory to God. And as we look today at our fathers on Father's Day, regardless of what kind of a father you've had or what kind of a father you are this morning, understand that for whatever time you have left, if you're willing to look and examine your own heart, you can become a better father than you've been. Whatever kind of a father you are this morning, you could be self-evaluating and say, I'm the worst father that's ever walked the face of the earth. Be better. You could look honestly at your heart this morning and say, you know what, I've been a pretty good dad. But you can still be better. You can still be striving to be more of what they need to the glory of our Father in heaven, because that's a responsibility that he's bestowed upon us. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we were called. Be a father who is worthy of the heart and the mind of your children. Be a husband who's worthy of the heart and the mind of your wife. Be the husband and the father, the leader of your home, that causes them to look at you and to love you and to honor you as they honor the Lord. Don't demand it. Live in such a way that they can't deny it. And when you do, God will be pleased. Well, thank you for this morning for joining us. And so we're glad that you're here again, just as a reminder, due to some technical issues, we'll not be able to have uh, a live stream service tonight. And so uh, spend some time with dad if you can and uh, we'll be praying that the Lord will restore some health here so that we don't have any more hiccups along the way uh, and then but do continue to pray for those in all seriousness that are
that are struggling with this this week. We have some folks that have uh, pretty mild cases that are getting by okay, uh, but they still need to be cautious not to spread because you just never know how it's going to affect the next person. Uh, we have folks that have been hugged by someone who had it that have tested negative, and we've had others that did no more than just sit next to someone at a meal uh, for just a few minutes and, and got it. And so uh, it's wide-ranging. It's hard to predict. Uh, you may get it and it not be that big of a deal. You may get it and it be very, very serious. Um, and so, you know, a year ago I was more on the serious side and I'm grateful that the Lord gave me that experience. I'm even more grateful that he got me through it and raised me up from it. I think it's helped us all as we go through this to be uh, more compassionate and patient those that are struggling. And so, but let's just be cautious, careful as you go forward. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you here by live stream on Wednesday night. If you please let us know if you're tested and especially if you had a tested, I have a list of everyone that we're trying to keep track of where everyone and how everyone is doing uh, for the purpose of making sure that if you have needs that we're, we're keeping in contact and, and trying to help you meet those needs. And so uh, if you are affected, please let us know. Uh, and we're communicating, a couple of us, and try to keep track of everyone. Uh, we haven't had many, to my knowledge, cases, tests that have come back negative. And so if you're symptomatic uh, or been in close contact with someone who is, um, it seems with, uh, with uh, we've had a lot of long conversations in, uh, in tight quarters and hallways and things of that nature as things have loosened up. And I think... Uh, we've got, you know, uh, you know, to resist the urge to play the blame, the blame game. Where'd this come from? I can pinpoint about three or four different possibilities uh, where even if it started with one, it could have been imported from other places as well. Just as, uh, you know, we've been fortunate up to this point. We've had several cases, but they've been very isolated and spread out. Other churches have had to go through this two or three times through the course of the pandemic. We, this is the first time other than the initial shutdown we've had to take these steps. Uh, pray that it'll be the last. And so, but again, with uh, 20 plus percent of our current congregation infected uh, this week, we certainly want to be cautious and careful moving forward. So if you have some needs, please let us know. We'll do all that we can to help you. Uh, and let's be faithful to be in prayer for those that are struggling. And so again, happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Let's close in a word of prayer uh, and then we'll look forward to seeing you right back here on Wednesday night. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together. Thank you for the ability that we have to gather virtually even when we can't be in person. Lord, I pray that you would help this, uh, all of this to work its way out of our church family quickly. I pray that you would be with those that have been more severely affected, especially that you'd touch their bodies and give them healing, give the doctors wisdom as they treat them. Lord, I pray that you'd help those that are recovering, Lord, to get back on their feet quickly as well. Lord, may we, our families be protected and may we all respond and do things in such a way to where we're uh, a blessing to one another and an honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good afternoon. God bless you.